Fika with Anika. The word fika is used as both a noun and a verb and is derived from the Swedish word for coffee. The Swedish coffee break is a moment to literally leave work behind. Taken at three in the afternoon, it's not a strategy for multitasking or for fitting in another mini-meeting. It's a chance to relax in the company of colleagues or friends. The key is to pause your day. So, brew up some coffee, grab a seat, and embrace Fika. Surprisingly, the Nordic countries are the top coffee consumers in the world. Finland graces the top of the list by consuming close to 28 pounds of coffee annually per capita. The Swedes follow close behind with the average Swede consuming 24 pounds of coffee per year. Comparing that to our fellow Americans who consume about 11 pounds of coffee annually per capita, it's safe to say that the Nordics are quite hooked on caffeine. Coffee was first introduced to Scandinavia during the 1600s, but didn't gain popularity in Sweden until the 1700s. However, once the spark had been ignited, the Swedes' love for coffee knew no limits. In fact, coffee became so popular that the Swedish government grew increasingly worried about the high import volume and ultimately Swedish money ending up in foreign countries. To solve the problem, the Swedish government decided it would be a good idea to simply forbid the Swedes from drinking coffee. In 1756, the ban was made effective, and anyone who was caught drinking coffee could expect a hefty fine. The ban was later on overturned and reinstated another three times until the government legalized coffee for good in 1823. Could that be why the Swedes are such big coffee drinkers? We never know when the next ban might be around the corner. Well, good afternoon, everyone. So here we are. It's Wednesday afternoon, and it's Fika with Anika. Let's pull up your easy chair and your favorite uh, uh, Fika brew. And um, I've invited into the studio a newbie here in Anza. Her name is Cynthia McIntosh. Um, and um, I just happened to, she called in to talk about the radio show one day, uh, about the radio station and getting involved, and we ended up having a long conversation and we're best buddies now we are <laughs> yes so it's good, welcome. To have, it's good to have a best buddy again. yeah so welcome <laughs> Cynthia Thank um you. so you've got a, a varied past I know you've got some radio background I do you're going to school uh to uh, finally become a life coach which is something we sure could use up here and so I don't which, let's start with one subject and go on with the other. <laughs> so tell me about your experience with radio. Oh, my. Well, it's it's evolved. Um, I started a radio talk show back in 2011 on a radio station called Indy 104. And they are actually no longer, I don't think they're even on the air anymore. They were for 20-something years, but I don't think they're on the air anymore. Um, the owner retired and decided he didn't want to sell it. So I don't think it even exists anymore. But it was a music station, and I have had a history with working with musicians, and actually that's what got me into life coaching, because 
I had a love for music, but I had a huge love for musicians. I just loved their lifestyle. I loved their passion. But, um, and so I had taken it upon myself to be there for them when things got tough. And so I, back in 1990 is actually when I first started working with musicians. And I was just kind of the person that they'd call when being on the road got tough or when mm -hmm. being away from family got tough and so on and so forth. And I was just kind of the go-to life coach for musicians. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but this was a, at a young, ten, tender age. You it know, was, but right. I, I just had a real passion. I've always had a real passion for people. And I liked music, and that's how I ended up doing what I did. And then in 2011, I started the radio talk show, which was basically the same thing. I'd have musicians come on, and we'd talk about the ups and downs of being a musician and being on the road and how they got into music and what it's like being a musician. And that was really fun. I loved doing it. I love radio. I just absolutely love radio. I love radio. <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell me, do you love radio? <laughs> I love radio. <laughs> and then eventually um, it evolved into more of a life coaching type where I was just working with, talking to, I, I started getting actual clients that were for life coaching. And then just for fun, I started having them on the show and talking about what they'd learned, what they were doing. And they, and that turned out to be a very, very fun show because I tend to get really silly. I love life coaching, but I like to keep things very positive. And so when we'd start talking, we'd just have a really good time on the air. And that was fun. It was a little bit lighter than talking to people about the ups and downs about of being on the road and having family problems and all that. This was a lot lighter and a lot more fun. Right. So, well, you don't want to air the dirty laundry out on the air either. Well, so, they, yeah. sometimes they wanted to. A lot of times they would want to talk about how tough it is being, um, you know, it's just mm -hmm. musicians are musicians. So anyway, it, it, was, it evolved into a life coaching show, and um, I really enjoyed it. And unfortunately, by now, I was on a lar much larger station, and the station had their studios in Paradise, California, and they burned down a couple of years ago, so I have not been on the radio since, although I'm looking forward to being back on. It's so, right. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's my goal. It's on my bucket list for next year. <laughs> So did you find when, when you're talking musicians, was it like the front man or, or, or like the guitar player or the drummer? Or, or was it even the songwriters who oh, contacted you? I talked to anybody that was a professional in the music industry. I had producers. I had musicians, of course. I had songwriters. I even had university instructors that taught music in, in colleges and universities. I had all kinds of anybody in the music industry. Wow, how interesting. It was very interesting because I got to the point where I was actually really working with musicians and teaching them the ropes on the music business because there's a lot to it, and it's a difficult industry to get to be in. So, yeah, I had agents. I had, I had all kinds of people on there. It was really fun. So, entertainment lawyers, oh. the whole shot. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, so what kind of... Um, uh, well, I don't know where I'm going with this now. Um, but Did I mess but, you up? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it was like, wow. It's like, holy moly, where do we go from here? But uh, so it would be like an hour show, and it was like a live call-in? Or how did you handle that? Again, that evolved. Um, when I was on Indie 104, it was strictly 
recording, which I actually enjoyed because with musicians, they tended to open up a little bit more when they knew it was just recorded and they'd have a lot more fun. They were a lot more relaxed. And I used to edit music videos and so I know how to edit. So I was able to take a two hour conversation and edit it down to a one hour and it was fun. Um, but eventually, once I got onto VBS and some of the other stations, I ended up going live and I even got a co-host for a while that did the show with me. And it's definitely a lot easier. It's a lot less work <laughs> to do it live. Okay. But um, I like it both ways. I really do. It's they both have their their uh, advantages and advantages. disadvantages. Yeah, 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 they do. Yeah, we're such a small station here, and and we can't see at what point we will be going live. So you know, just like this program is pre-recorded, which I find the guests usually find more the most comfortable. Anyhow, yeah. you know, they're relieved to to realize that we're just sitting here. Basically, it's like sitting around the coffee uh, around the kitchen table and talking with a friend, and it's not, you know, like you've got to stand with a, a microphone right in your face, right. that type of thing, which right. can really scare some people off. So, so uh, yeah, so this is a, for us, it's it's working right now. But I think ultimately, years down the line, we might be going live, too, here on KOYT. But, oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's on we'll, your bucket list. Well, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> I may not be around long enough to see that happen. Well, the advantage to doing the call-ins is that I used to record shows with people from all over the world. I'd have people from Norway, I had Germany, I had Canada, you mm -hmm. know. And you're not as limited because of the fact that you're doing it. Anybody has a phone, they can just call in. And um, so there are definitely advantages. But, yeah, people are, people are definitely more relaxed when they know it's recorded. And they can just right. call and have a conversation. It's all edited. Tell me about uh, life coaching then. Um, I had some experience back when I had my own business and I hired a life coach. Mm. And um, and what I took away from that was actually his words of wisdom to me and that what stuck with me the most was nothing changes if nothing changes. <laughs> and Because I'd been beating my head around trying to basically doing the same thing over and over again right. and not understanding why my employees weren't you know you know you know the, the dif difficulties I had I was you know uh, a, a woman owner and and you know the, the men would just uh, say sure sure I'll do it and then right. they, they wouldn't and things like that and so it was like yeah it's like if they're not changing nothing's going to change right. yeah you keep and doing so, the same so, thing you're yeah, going to get the same results exactly <laughs> and so that, that that was my big takeaway yeah but um so uh What's your What's your take on life coaching? I mean, how do you How do you see that it helps people? And uh, I love life coaching, and basically, as for much me, as you love radio. Yes. Yes. Good. Maybe even more. <laughs> I I really really enjoy seeing people's lives change. I always have. I love helping people dream. I'm a dreamer. I will admit it. My parents never liked it about me, but I'm a dreamer, <laughs> and I love having something that I'm working towards. I'm very I am I am I'm entrepreneurial and if I don't have anything that I'm working towards something I'm dreaming about life is very stale very yeah you know, not much to look forward to and so for me taking people that feel like they're stuck in a rut or like things aren't changing because they're not changing mm -hmm. um I really love working with them and helping them find that passion and that beauty that they have and that power that they have in themselves that they aren't recognizing yet 
and turning that into a real exciting, free, fulfilling life. And so that's really what I do. And it has nothing to do with telling people what to do. I don't do that. It's more about sitting and asking them questions and helping them to think things through and what's important to them. Because for me, if I want to help you become successful, success might mean something totally different to you than me. So it's not my right to tell you how to be successful. It's not my right to tell you what success is and what's going to make you successful. That's to you. Success to you might be something completely different than it is to me. So asking you questions and letting you answer them and hear yourself talking and finding your own answers and um, coming up with ideas of your own through a little bit of just strictly questioning mm -hmm. is really exciting because it's your idea. It's your, as a client, it's your passion that's coming out. It's not mine. And so... It's really fun to watch people. I worked with somebody last week, and it was so much fun just watching her eyes light up because she came across something she had never thought about before. And I was just talking to her, asking her questions, and all of a sudden she's like, oh, my gosh, that's incredible. And it really completely changed the way she was looking at things. And well, that, to me, is what makes the world go round. It's kind of that aha moment when people realize when they just look at it from a different angle instead right. of being in the box, going outside the box and looking in. Right. And having that, oh, and then the realizing that they thought of it. Right. And that's, right. The, that's the key. They have to think about it. And they have the power to. It's just sometimes they just don't know how. And just asking them questions and directing them to look at things a little bit differently, they can come up with their own ideas. And that's basically what life coaching is, is just helping people to figure out what works for them and what doesn't, what makes them happy, what doesn't, what brings out passion in them and what doesn't. And... You know, finding direction. So it's exciting. It's an exciting career. I've been doing it for a long time, but I am now um, focusing on getting a, some additional certification. And due to some um, things that I've gone through over the last couple of years, I was in a really bad accident a couple of years ago, got run over by an SUV. The woman wasn't paying attention to what she was doing when she was in a parking lot, and she ran me over. And then she heard herself run something over, but she didn't know what she ran over, so she backed up to see what she ran over and ran over me again. And so I got pretty Oh my god. I'm I sorry. got pretty thrashed and went through a lot of trauma, went through a lot of, you know, brain injuries and physical injuries and emotional injuries, a lot of mess. But through all that, um, being a life coach, if nothing if I have not learned anything else, I have learned that everything happens and you have a choice of how you want to look at it. And if you look at everything as an opportunity, it becomes one. If you look at everything as something that's going to stop you or something that's going to ruin your life or something that's going to make things difficult, it will. You find what you look for. And so I got in this accident. I was in the hospital for months, and I just didn't want this to be something that would destroy me. I wanted to just continue to enjoy life. And... So now, as a life coach, I'm actually taking some classes to get certified as a trauma, as a coach specializing in trauma and recovery. And so... Um, oh, how interesting. That's, yeah. So it's, it's a specialized life coaching practice, and there aren't very many people that do it. But it's something, because when I was in the hospital, I met a lot of other people like me that had brain injuries. I was in a neurological rehab for a couple months. And I saw how it. so many people were so depressed and they just didn't know how they were ever going to get out of the box they were stuck in now because of their injuries. 
And I started working with them, and it was just a natural thing to try and help them to look at things in a positive way. And when I got out of there, I just thought, you know, that was really fun. That was fulfilling. It made me, I could understand them in a way that nobody else could without going through it before. And so to go through, to be able to talk to somebody about rehabilitation or, or injuries or trauma or drug abuse or anything like that, you have to live it to really understand it. And so I just took all of my life my life experiences and turned them into a new career. So now I'm focusing on trauma and rehabilitation and rehab. So Wow, that's really cool to you know, take most people would be like really depressed and, and uh you know, that you're you like coached yourself to I a did. position. I absolutely did. Yeah, to be able to help other people. I think right. that's really wonderful. Do you work with veterans then also, people that that are yeah, that's funny. That's so funny that you had asked that because I come from a military family, and I have a lot of military family that have gone through PTSD and different things like that, and that has been one of yes, that has been one of my definite passions is to work with veterans. Absolutely, I have a son that's in the military that I haven't seen in years, but I'm going to get to see him this Christmas. Oh, lovely. he's coming home from Germany. <laughs> oh, goodness! You know, my son just came from uh, Sweden. He's going to be spending a couple of weeks yeah. here, so I'm pretty thrilled about that. That yeah. too. It's always nice when they touch it ground is. here again. I'm so excited. I haven't seen him in a while. He hasn't been able to get away, so he's coming home this year. So, but yes, I love working with vets. Absolutely, I support them in any way I can. Is this something that you can do remotely, or are yes. you looking at, at building clientele here in the in the uh, rural communities? You know, both. I love Anza. I haven't been here that long, but I've fallen in love with the people and the place. And well, I haven't met all the people yet. I haven't met all the people, but I've met the I've met an awful lot of really nice, really nice, wonderful, down to earth people. Yeah, and I really do love them. And so I want to be a part of the community. I want to help people here as much as I can. But yes, I do work um, online, mostly using Skype, so you can talk work with anybody okay. from anywhere. And. Um, so I have everything set up to, to work with Skype, and I have all the files I need to send back and forth to people so we can work together. So, yeah. So um, I'm, I'm assuming that you were in paradise, and so you're, you're a California girl. So what made you come to Anza? How did you find Anza, and what's the appeal? Um, actually, yes, I'm a California native, born in San Diego, so <laughs> not too far from home. <laughs> and I actually moved to Anza because, I, because of the accident. Um, my brother lived here, and he moved me down here to take care of me after the accident, mm. uh, which happened, what's the date today? Today is the 13th of the December. The 13th, the 13th. Oh, today is my one-year anniversary. Oh, congratulations. I got, oh. I got run over on the 13th of last year. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, we should celebrate it because it brought you here. Absolutely. It brought you here, gave you, you know, a new slant on your career. It did. And, it's, you know, so it's a positive thing. It is. It yeah. really is. Well, just, so, yeah. Today, wow. I didn't really think about that until we got in that conversation. So, anyway, uh, my brother lived here, and I moved down here to be with him after the accident. He helped me out for a while. And then he ended up moving to San Diego. He moved in with his girlfriend, and okay. I stayed where he was. So I took over the house. Fantastic. And yeah. I absolutely love it. I really do. I can't imagine. In fact, when I had, I was in the hospital for a couple of months, and they released me, 
they really wanted me to be somewhere where I was closer to doctors and attorneys and everybody I needed. And I said, nah, I'll work it out, but I have to go back to Anza. <laughs> so here I am. Yeah. Well, I find there's just something about this uh, this valley right here that is just so appealing. People, I always ask people, you know, how do you end up here in Anza? And they always have some kind of a story. And yeah. uh, But it's just, uh, we're so blessed. We are. With, uh, you know, the the... You know, the winds that clear the air, so the air is always breathable, you know, as compared to L.A. or any of the other cities. And uh, the starry nights, oh, just beautiful. Sunsets yeah. are gorgeous. I, I love Saturdays. I usually go for a hike. It's just so many oh, beautiful okay. places to hike. Yeah, yeah. And my another one of my bucket list things for next year is I'm going to start horseback riding. I'm dead set on doing that. It's just something I'm going to do for myself just for fun because I haven't done that in a long time. So I'm going to okay. put that together for next year. Well, you may want to so. consider uh, one of our guests was uh, J.R. Hull, and he's the uh, the ranch manager for Manzanita Ranch. Ah. And what they do is they work with veterans to get oh. over, you know, integrating the veterans with horses and to, to deal with their uh, PTSD. Oh, wow. And that, that could be something maybe that you could ho hook up with. That would I'll be, be sure awesome. to give you his number. Please do. That would be amazing. Style. Yeah. That would be a lot of yeah, fun. Yeah, I'm sure that uh, you probably gain a lot from, from that, you know. Absolutely. And they're always looking for help on the ranch, too. So you could, you know, maybe, uh, I'm not going to talk for JR, but <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I'm working the situation now. It's like working it. It's like, okay, you get free writing lessons. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you get for being a business owner, right? <laughs> exactly. You definitely yeah. think like one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm like you. I'm an entrepreneur. I like I like coming up with new ideas, you know. And it's like you know, uh, um, it it I, yeah. I keep busy here in Anza with all kinds of. I work with several nonprofits. Do you? Uh, yeah, I'm with the the Anza area trail town. Uh, which is the nonprofits because we're all about the trails up here. Yes, you know, and the High Country Conservancy, uh, which is you know all about you know, not that we're tree huggers, but we want to <laughs> make sure that we have pure water and and that the land is usable. And I like so, tree huggers. I do too. I but love. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such an animal and nature lover. It's well, a character you have blah. to you have to be up here. You know, we all have our you you know the, that's why we live up here. Yeah, it's you know. I remember, I, I think it was like the second or third day that I was in Anza. Um, I went into my, I have a little office in my house. And it has a window that goes from the floor to the ceiling mm -hmm. in the office. And I went in the office, and it was still dark out because it was really early in the morning. But there was a light outside, so you could see from the inside to out, but they couldn't see the other way around. And there was a coyote right on the other side of the glass. And she was so beautiful, and I just had so much fun just sitting there. I was holding still and just watching her. Yeah. And I thought, that is so funny. I'm so weird to sit here and think how beautiful a coyote is. But that's... <laughs> <laughs> well, we need them. They, they keep the, you know, the rabbit population down. They do. They do. I'm, I'm, I lived, before I moved out here, I was in Mission Viejo, and... It's uh -huh. so sad how they're so anti-coyotes and they're so anxious to get rid of them and they try and kill them off and all that does is make them populate, you know, so there's more of them. And, um, you know, yes, they eat your little animals, but they don't know they're your little animals. They're surviving, you know. Exactly. <laughs> so, yes, I'm, I feel for a lot of compassion for animals. <laughs> 
have a beautiful hawk that lives in our yard, too. Oh, good. I've got little puppies, so I'm careful, but this hawk is gorgeous. Well, maybe that's why you have the hawk, because you have the puppies. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. One brings the other. But yes. Yeah, we learn that quickly when you start getting, we have chickens and things like that. Oh, yeah. You need to have covering on top of your coop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. otherwise you will have, uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of things I really love about ants, and animals is one of them. <laughs> Pika with Anika. This is KYC 97.1 Coyote Radio. ANZA's local backcountry horseman of California unit Redshank Riders wants to remind you that it's up to us to protect beautiful public lands and rural areas. One way of reminding ourselves of this is by following the seven principles of Leave No Trace. Number three, dispose of waste properly. Always pack out what you pack in. Don't leave trash and spilled food for others to have to pack out. By following these seven principles of Leave No Trace, you can help keep our public lands and rural areas beautiful for future generations. For more helpful information, www.redshankwriters.com. Got an older car that's not working and is going to be too expensive to repair? KYT Coyotes can pick it up, get top dollar for it, and use those funds to support ANZA Community Broadcasting. KYT, your community radio station. For more info, call 951-763-5698. The Coyote. Listen to it. Welcome back to Pika with Anika. So I'm not really sure where the conversation's going to go from here. Um, but uh, so tell me a little bit about yourself. A little bit about me. Um, I was born in San Diego. I was a Navy brat, but my parents moved down to Brazil right after I was born. They, my dad retired from the Navy and we went to Brazil. He was a bush pilot out there. And so I actually grew up on the Amazon. On the Amazon? On the Amazon. Out not in, the in middle. Rio de Janeiro or something? No, like not that. Rio de Janeiro. Out there no. in the jungle? Yes, absolutely. <gasps> and he had a little clearing where he used to pull his plane in and out of. We had on on our yard. And um, then we eventually moved up to northern Brazil and lived on a little island up there. And then when I was in sixth grade, I believe it was, we ended up moving back to the United States. Oh, what a shame. So, so so, let's uh, focus in on Brazil here a little bit. <laughs> okay, so I, I see this little, little six-year-old running around and playing with piranhas and, and <laughs> anacondas. And uh, <laughs> so, so how was life in the jungle there? Uh, Beautiful, peaceful. You I, weren't going to school? and Did you have friends? We, I ended up eventually going to school. They made a little... I went the school that I actually went to and went and left Brazil going to was a little thatch roof house school. We we built it with thatch roofs and we called it the Shaggy Dog School. And it was that's pretty much what it looked like. It was just <laughs> a bunch of but um it was different. Different than here. Um I did go to school at 
I didn't speak much English until I got... Spoke Portuguese. I spoke Portuguese. Good job. Most people say, oh, you speak Spanish. Um, so, yeah, I didn't really learn English until well into my... almost into high school, junior high, high school age. Um, I still Portuguese. I still love Portuguese. It's kind of still my first language. <laughs> I still love my Brazilians. Um, so then, yeah, we... We moved back to the United States. I learned my English and got integrated into a whole new lifestyle. And got married and had triplets. I have two boys and a girl. They're 35 years old. As oh my, of, are they identical? They're not. They're um, two boys and a girl, so they're not identical, but they look a lot alike. They're definitely brother and sister. And when they were babies, it was very, it was more difficult to tell them apart than it is now. But. <laughs> oh, I can't um, imagine. Well, having awesome. three at one time, my God. They are yeah, absolutely yeah, it gives awesome. gives you stamina. They are absolutely awesome. I'm very proud of all three of them. One of them is in the military. And he's one I was just telling you, he's in Germany. He's coming home, finally. Um, one of them is a software designer up in San Francisco. And the other one is a flight attendant who lives in Newport Beach. And that's my little crew. Oh, wow. And they're, obviously they're all grown up, and so my new babies are three Bichons. I have Bichon Frise puppies. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, you say puppies. Did, like, did you have a litter, or do you actually have, like, a, a pair of puppies? Or no, actually I have one. Here? I do have one that's a junior. But for my birthday this year, my birthday was in November, so last month, I bought myself a Bichon puppy. And thinking that it would be good for the junior, for the okay. older dog, to get right. her, keep her going. It didn't work out that way. Senior really thought that junior baby was obnoxious and didn't want to have much to do with her. So I thought, okay, now I've got this puppy that's all by herself and don't, driving me nuts, so I'm going to have to get another puppy. And so a couple of weeks ago, I got a second puppy. So now I have two puppies. I just absolutely adore her. They are the cutest little things ever. Very playful. <laughs> I don't know much about that breed. Oh, they're so fun. They're like a little white fur ball. They're all white. They're um, are they like ten pounders when they're grown up, or how, how big? They, are they these are going to be about ten pounders. Okay. Yeah. The the senior that I have is actually about fifteen pounds. She's a little bit larger, but these guys come from very small parents. Their parents are eight and nine pounds, so at the most they'll be around nine pounds. But I think they're going to be smaller. Um, my the first one I got on my birthday. Her name is Angel, and when I got her, she weighed two pounds two ounces, and oh, she probably God, doesn't. That's adorable. Oh man, she is. I doesn't even she, sound like a dog. She doesn't <laughs> weigh too much more than that now, though. She's not getting very big. And then the other one I got, I actually kind of. She wasn't being very well taken care of. I don't think so. I got her. She was already seven months old, so she's a little bit more of a handful. But I absolutely love her. She is just the most affectionate thing. And she is a whopping six pounds. She's eight months old now, so she's not going to get very big. But those are my babies. Okay, all right. <laughs> Do they alert you when the, when the coyotes uh, sing and things like that? You or, know, they really don't. Bichons tend to be pretty quiet. Okay. Um, I've had Bichons for years. I love the breed. They're very quiet. They don't shed. They're really soft. They have hair, not fur, and they're really, really soft, and they don't shed. And they're very mellow dogs. They don't bark a lot. Okay. They use them a lot in hospitals as um, support dogs. Yeah. 
and uh, but they're they are playful. They've also been used a lot. They in circuses, the ones that walk on their back feet a lot. Um, so they're they're uh, they're fun dogs. I absolutely love them. I love their personalities. They're very gentle, quiet, but playful. Okay. And they stay young. I mean, my 12-year-old still acts like a puppy. She's very playful. She just doesn't like the puppies because they're so loud and they jump on her and she's <laughs> not, <laughs> can't keep up with them. <laughs> okay. So anyhow, so I'm fascinated about the Brazil aspect <laughs> of you. It's like, wow, how cool is that to like grown up in, in, in the jungle and just... Uh, I, I just I don't know if I can dig any deeper in there. If there's any anything that you want to talk about, you but. know, I when I so, was when so, I, wait. So so it's your family and your father's a bush pilot and he whatever. Is, so so did you live like in, in a, with a native tribe? No, he flew to the native tribes. That was his job. He would go in and take supplies to the natives. Natives would often give him gifts, and he'd bring them home. So we had all kinds of. I had a quadi mundi, which in Brazil it's called a guachi. I think, and most a lot of people don't even know what they are. But if I you, don't know what it is. You can have to explain. They're really fun. They're little animals. But somebody gave me one, gave us one for a pet. It's a kind of a cross between a squirrel and a raccoon. I guess they kind of look. They they have a raccoon kind of look to them. Okay, what's the but name again? Quadi mundi is what they call them in. In America, Quachi in Portuguese. Um, Q U A T I M U N D I, I think. Okay. Two words. Um, anyway, but we used to get fun stuff. My dad still has arrows and all kinds of fun things that he got from the Indians that would make him stuff. But um, we did live very near the Amazon, and I used to love to just go walk around out there, lots of animals, lots of, it was just so beautiful, and it's kind of a heartbreak to watch the Amazon getting, or the, burning up, the, mm -hmm. the forest getting torn down. There was a place I used to like to hang out at that had a tree that had fallen, I used to like to sit on the tree, and there's a little creek, and I used to just keep my feet in the creek, lost a few shoes in the creek, and that is now, from what I understand, the middle of a, a airport that area. It's turned into an airport. So I have shoes underneath the cement somewhere out there. <laughs> <laughs> Were you an only child? No, I have two younger brothers. Oh, okay. Um, uh, they were born one, in Brazil? One of them was. The other one was born just before we left because I was, he wasn't that much. He's two years older than me and by the, we were just leaving when he when he was born, mm, and then gotcha. Mark, my youngest brother, was born there. That must have been so, challenging for your mother. I'm sure it was. Um, oh, did did you have electricity, running water? You know, I don't even at that age. I don't even remember. I didn't really care too much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Um, I do believe that they lived with a well. I'm pretty sure we had a well. But honestly, I don't remember. I was too busy playing out in the... Yeah. <laughs> God, I'm, I'm jealous. It's like, um, what a way to I, grow up. I really did love it out there. Mm -hmm. I think that's where I learned to really love nature and love animals. Um, and so you I spoke, don't think my mom was real excited about being out there. I can only imagine <laughs> with three kids. I know, right? In a primi primitive setting. I mean, yeah. for, I, I get excited about things like that, but, but it's... Yeah, my mom weird. not so much. My poor mother. Yeah. 
she uh, she was from Chicago, so she was used to big cities. She was, you know, and then she married my dad, and he brought her down to San Diego, and that's still city, you know. And then also yes. she end up living. They did move to São Paulo at first for one year to learn the language. They went to language school in São Paulo, and that's where Mark was born. Um, but then after that, they moved right out to the middle of nowhere, and I'm sure it was not fun for her to have three babies and and to be out there in the middle of nowhere. It would probably be scary, too. I mean, you're not even real close to medical facilities and whatnot, you know? So I can imagine it would be... So what do you eat? Canned goods? or I mean, how do you feed a family like that when you're out in nowhere? Well, I know we ate. I don't know. I'm going to have to I was like regression was, therapy here. Take I it back. I want to know what You're recipe me she was about making. things I like yeah, never really thought about. Yeah. I was just enjoying being outdoors. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, like, what kind of recipes would you have there, you know? And how do you cook on a, you know, was a stone, you know, heated That's stones funny. frying your eggs? and <laughs> That's really funny. I, Mm, it's okay, really it was a long it. time ago. It yeah. was, and I was not really worried about what we were going to eat that day. I was out, yeah. you know, like I said, I was enjoying life. So, And so Portuguese was then your, your first language. Yes. And you learned English, you said, more I did. as a preteen. Or... When we moved up north, it was, I did go to school. I went to Colégio Batista de Nia de Latouche, it was a Brazilian school, obviously. And then towards the end, when they decided I needed to start learning English because we were going to move back to the United States, was when they put me in Shaggy Dog School, <laughs> so I could learn English. Cool. And I did not like it. I rebelled. I will admit, I did not like oh, coming to the United States and going getting thrown into school. My parents pretty much had the attitude that when you live in a country, you live as they do. Okay. And so when we lived in Brazil, they didn't even bother to try and teach me English and teach me American way of doing things. I lived as a Brazilian. I didn't really even realize I wasn't one. And then when we came to the United States, it was the same thing. It was just threw me into high school and said, you're going to learn English, you know, and, and uh, learn how to be like them. And actually, it was junior high. But it was difficult to be thrown into a junior high and be different and not speak the language well and... I mean, kids can be so mean. <laughs> so it was definitely culture shock for me. It was definitely different. And I wasn't really excited about being in the United States because Americans are very different than what I was used to. Brazilians are a different culture for sure. Okay. And, um, in fact, even when I had my kids, I had a Brazilian nanny. So she only spoke Portuguese. She didn't even know English. So the kids grew up around Portuguese. And... When I finally started, when they, they, they learned both, though. They learned English and Portuguese. But it was really cute because my parents didn't like them speaking Portuguese because we're in the United States. And so they primarily spoke English, but if they got in a fight, if they got mad, it was as soon as they got that oh. passion going, it would just switch right back into Portuguese. It was so cute. So what do your dogs <laughs> speak? Do you speak Portuguese to your dogs or do you speak English? To my doggies, um, no, they they speak English. Oh, okay. They're they're American. See, dogs. I speak Swedish to my dogs. Do you yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. Because what language do they talk back in? <laughs> <laughs> Swedish. <of> do they? <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was the good That's one. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, you know, my puppies are young enough. I should teach them Portuguese. They're still young. Yeah, it's good that way. Other other people can't take off with your dogs and stuff because they don't they don't know what come here means. That's, you know, that's true. They're going to yeah. be very disobedient. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's kind of fun fun thing to do to other people, isn't it? I should do that. Yeah, they're still young. I can t- I can teach them Portuguese, and nobody else will be able to control them. That works. Good idea. So even though you were young when you left, uh, and uh, your parents, obviously being American, uh, did it influence? The way that you eat, for example, do you eat? I'm just trying to to think the culture shock here. Definitely, definitely eat Brazilian food there, and I still love Brazilian food. I keep telling people that I meet that speak Portuguese or or nor Brazil, I'm just dying for some feijoada. My parents used to, my mother used to make me feijoada any time that we got any feijoada. It's called feijoada. It's it's a like a Black bean soup that's got all kinds of meats and stuff. It's but it's different. It's really really good. But my mother, anytime on my birthday and anytime we weren't getting along, if she wanted to make peace with me. She'd make feijoada. Well, now I don't live with my mommy no more, so I don't get that. But I do miss it. But their food is really different. Um, I still love going to Brazilian restaurants and ordering Brazilian food. It is different. Are there any around here? I, I was Not thinking in my head. Here. I don't even living in LA. I don't remember Brazilian restaurants. There, there is one There's in LA. There's Argentine and in whatever yeah. and Chilean, but can't it is think different. of a Brazilian. I think there is one up in LA. There used to be one in Irvine, and I used to go to it frequently, okay. but they're not there anymore. All right. So the food is different. The one of the things I love coffee. I'm a coffee drinker. I started drinking coffee at a very young age, and I love my coffee. But one of the things I do remember and I recall frequently is when they make coffee, they have the grounds, they grind it with, you know, by hand, and then they put the grounds in a sock, and they pour boiling water through the sock, and they have a spoon that they put in the sock and twist it and squeeze everything out of it, and that's how they make their coffee. And so when I've sitting here using my little curing, <laughs> I always think about, I always picture yeah. how they used to make it, and they, of course, make it really strong. It's not like here. So it's more... It's more so like it's a, poured through. The water is, is poured through, and it filters through the sock. Yeah. And into the cup. Correct. As compared to, you know, like a French press or anything that... Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. And then we used to raise chickens and... I'd always fall in love with the chickens, and then they'd kill the chickens, and I'd have to eat the chickens, and it was heartbreak. It was very difficult. (laughs) But we raised our own animals, or their own chickens. Um, And, yeah, so it was different. So uh, uh, just things like fruits. What kind of fruits grows in Uh, here? We have mangoes. Mangoes? Mangoes, yeah. That's what you go with. Yeah, mangoes. To me, <laughs> we had we had manga trees. We had. Do you know what a star fruit is? I do. Okay, we had a lot of star fruit. Okay. Um, actually, I love Brazilian fruit. It's not as sweet as it is here. So I used to eat a lot of papaya, a lot of coconut, stuff like that. Cashews. Cash. How do you say? Cashews. 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 Cashews fruit. That has a net that hangs on the bottom of it. Yes. We had those trees in our oh. in our yards. And the cashew, it's actually, from what I've understood, it's related to the poison ivy plant, the tree itself that grows the cashews. 
And so you have the plant and you have the nut that hangs on the bottom of it. It looks like it's hanging upside down. It's different than any other kind of fruit. It's kind of pear-shaped and that's got this nut hanging on the bottom of it. The cashews are amazing. They are so good. They're really, really, really good. Favorite fruit ever. But Brazilian fruit is not as sweet. I mean, apples and stuff like that that you get here, mm-hmm. it's just way too sweet for me. I just don't, I can't eat much of it. I don't, oh, I don't like it. I'm more like bananas, coconuts, papayas, stuff like that. All right. But cashews, what they do, and we used to do these a lot, you pick the, the cashew, you eat the fruit, you take the nut, and they're poisonous as is. You can't eat them that way. But you make a bonfire. You make a big pile of them, you light them on fire, and you have a bonfire. You let the whole thing burn up. And then after that, you crack them open, and you've got the nut, which is what you guys get. That's why they're kind of expensive, because it it's, takes process. a lot of processing. But, yeah, cashews are really good. Cashew. Wow. So, we had a lot of cashew nuts. We had cashew. We had mangas, papaya, coconuts. What else did we grow in our yard? We didn't grow the star fruit. We used to get those. And there, I know there were others, though. Actually, I think we did... I think we did raise, have trees that did catch the uh, star fruit. You put them in the freezer and let them freeze a little bit and then eat them. They're really good. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But again, they're not that sweet. Mangas are really sweet, but that's about the sweetest fruit you get out there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I just couldn't envision, you know, Brazil, uh, you know, obviously tropical, but. I don't see, you know, like coconut trees along the beach, but I guess they would be, right? Yeah, they're there. Okay, all right. And we had, oh, parrots. We had pet oh. parrots. Our macaws. Oh, they're fun. They are fun pets. They're so smart. I used to get in trouble all the time. My my bird used to get me in trouble because she had learned how to imitate me and my brother's voices to a T okay. perfectly. So my mom would go to the back door and yell at us to come in the house for dinner, and the bird would answer. So my mom would think we'd heard and that we were coming, or she'd say, hey, Cynthia, get in here and clean your room, and the bird would answer, so she'd think I heard and I was coming. And of course, I didn't, so I wouldn't. <laughs> and I'd tell her, Mom, I didn't hear you, and she'd say, you answered. And she'd get really mad. It, was, it took quite a while for us to figure out it was a stupid bird doing it to us. <laughs> But that bird was amazing, man. She could imitate anybody. And she had your voice to where you could not tell. And she'd sing like crazy, but she was really funny because she'd have all these songs. And she'd know, like, one line from each song and turn to me. So it was like, happy birthday to you. Oh, Susanna. Oh, don't you come. You know. <laughs> she had all these songs. And she'd bring them into one. <laughs> but she was great. But we had quite a few macaws. Okay. Well, with that, uh, this was really a lot of fun. Thank you. You're so so diversified. I'm hoping I can bring you in again some other time, or that, you know, if you ever feel the urge and you want to start your own programming here in ANSA, we are looking for programs. I think that's that's already in the cards in my mind. I'm working on it. All right. (laughs) Well, I'm no musician, but uh, I used to bartend, and I used to work at the Troubadour in West Hollywood. Oh, uh And so, you know, so I, I, through just getting musicians drunk that's about, that's as, as far as <laughs> my association either, huh? oh no oh no so we could maybe talk about that one day about uh yeah about uh yeah the trials and tribulations from, yeah from a bartender's point of view yeah. that'd be interesting yeah anytime anytime okay. all right be fun all right well thank you thank you so okay. much okay bye-bye bye-bye
Thank you for joining us for this week's Cup of Fika with Anika. Tune in Wednesdays at 3 p.m. and a replay on Sundays at 1 p.m. If you have any questions or comments for me or my guests, please send an email to programming at koyt971.org and put Fika in the subject line. Enjoy the rest of your day.